this Thanksgiving, this coming Thursday, the dispensable church will have been in existence for one year. During that time, I have made many mistakes. Uh, I started off with a batch of them. I've tried to be open with you about the mistakes as I see them. I've tried not to second-guess them, but to wait until I was sure that it was a mistake. And let me tell you some of the mistakes that I made in starting this. <laughs> It's somewhat ironic that we've spoken so much here of how there is no such thing as a spiritual form or spiritual behavior. And in almost every talk, there have been examples of spiritual, so-called spiritual forms and spiritual behaviors that we can all laugh gently at. But I started with a batch of them. And the reason was that I had given talks in churches in all parts of the country, many different denominations, and there were certain things that I didn't like. But I can see now that I was mistaking form and content. So I didn't like the emphasis that was being placed on money and consequently, I thought that the form in which it was being placed was the mistake. And I can see now that, that that's not true. It's just that the peace of God is more important than money. And especially in the New Thought movement, which is possibly the, the leading edge of the uh, modern Christian movement, I'm not sure that that's true, but it's certainly one of the more compassionate and open-minded parts of the Christian movement. In many of the churches, and certainly not in all of them, but in many of the churches, the only ritual centers around money. And the, and the service stops, and there is five or ten minutes of ritual. And you'll have a professor procession of ushers coming up to the front and you'll have special music and you'll have a special meditation and you'll have a thing that's said over the money and then said over the baskets and then the mo money comes in and something else is said over that and promises are made like on election day and everything <laughs> and I saw that some of the most beautiful heart-touching services I'd ever been in were for me jarred by this sudden emphasis on one aspect of the world, just one innocent little aspect of the world. And so I thought, well, we won't do that here. We'll have an all-volunteer organization. No one will receive any money. We will not pass a plate. And anyone who needs money will be able to just take it from the the basket if they need it, so you, you can either put it in or take it out. Well, <laughs> the 
Now, one of the curious things that's happened by not passing a plate is that we haven't met our expenses, and our expenses <laughs> <laughs> our expenses are very uh, small. I've, we've recited them to you. The girls' club. If you're getting ready to make out your checks for the end of the year, please don't forget the girls' club. Uh, they they rent us this place for five dollars an hour. Uh, John Gooch's group plays for a, a, such a low sum that it's almost embarrassing. Uh, we do have one, uh, we have actually two paid su Sunday school people. <clears throat> and that's all the expenses we have. And that will run between $75 and $100, something like that, depending on whether or not uh, we have John Gooch's group. So you can see it's very, very small. Which means that we have not been getting even 50 to 75 cents uh, per person. Now, this, I think, is partly because of the fact that the little boxes are back there. They're, in, they're easy to forget. I understand. I realize that. Uh, so we had a meeting, and uh, we discussed uh, passing a basket. And uh, someone suggested, I just can't imagine who it was, <clears throat> that why don't we pass a pig? We might even have special pig music we could play. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a young, there was a young uh, couple who, uh, they actually wanted to come this Sunday dressed in overalls. They wanted to be the pig passers. <laughs> so we're, we're going to do that. Here is the basic thing. Oh, let me mention a couple of examples. There was one Sunday that I remember, if you remember, many of you remember well, in which the Sunday school teacher came in and said that there wasn't enough help. And not one of the 120 or 30 people got up to help. There was another time in which uh, one of the uh, volunteers here asked if someone would, in the long line of people sitting out on the uh, wall, would someone help with chairs? And uh, once again, there was this <laughs> non-response. Now, I realize this is a non-church. <laughs> but and I want to allay a rumor that's been going on that, and that is that uh, I'm going to uh, not do this anymore I love this uh, church and I, I love what we do here every Sunday and I, as I've told you before when I'm out of town I try to schedule to get back here because to me this is like a family and I love the fact that people uh, sit around and talk and come early and I like the music and this is just a, a tremendous pleasure to me and I am and I am not going to uh, step away from it uh, but I would have to say that that if it continued where we had to buy more and more people to help us and this is what the trend has been we started out with two people who were Sunday school teachers and uh, did it as volunteers and so forth and and now we're having to talk about hiring everybody you know that we need uh, and the people who put up chairs have just become exhausted with this or put them out in, in the beginning if that were to continue 
then I would have to recognize that there had been a deep failure on my part because one of the things that I have tried to stress is that you will be so much happier if you will give to any aspect of your life. You'll be so much happier with that aspect. So if you will give something to the company for which you work anonymously, this is a this is really a terrifying thing to do. To 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 do something for this ugly corporation that you work for and do it anonymously. And you could think of a thousand things that you could do. You will love your job so much more if you do that. We've talked here about how we love our car if we will just begin taking a little interest in the car. And, and now it's not our enemy. We, have to not, we don't have to hire people to defend ourselves against our car. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whether you wash it or don't wash it. or None of that's important. But that you do something for it. The only message there is, is that God is all and God is one. There is nothing but one thing going on. And so all there is to waking up is to realize we are not separate. And that is another way of saying all there is to do is to be happy. So the way to be happy is to join with the aspects in your life that seem to be afflicting you. And so your vegetable garden or your, or your patio or your house or your spouse, if you will just start doing something for them, now you will feel a connection because the connection is already there. The form is separate. We look around and everyone is sitting on separate chairs and each person is dressed differently. We have different shades of skin. We have different ages and all this. This is an illusion. Most of you know that or you wouldn't come to this crazy little place on Sunday. But we must begin to do something to see beyond the illusion. Because we begin from the perception that everything is cut off from everything else in this world. And that everything in this world is competing against everything else. Even the leaves on a bush compete for sunlight against the other leaves. So that you actually have, in just a bush, leaves killing leaves. You have this in the animal world. You have this in the insect world. And obviously you have it in the human world. In little ways and in big ways, from this belief that we are separate comes murder in all different shades, candy coated with lovely colors and then quite blatant forms of it. But the fact is, there is only one thing going on and we are not separate from anything. These are all little costume masks. This is, this is a net or a grit that has been placed on a lovely hole and it looks divided to our eyes. But it is not divided. 
And one of the very simple, easy ways of beginning to see this is to look at whatever, whatever is afflicting you in your life, wherever the pain seems to be coming from, and do something for it anonymously. And so I know it would make you so much happier <laughs> if you didn't think you were a spectator, if you didn't think that you were coming here to, to be entertained or something. Now, of course, there are many people here that, that, that aren't doing this. There are people who, who, who regularly help in a number of different ways. But for many of you, I promise you, you would get, if you think you're getting something from this church, you would get ten times more from it if you would think of something to do. Anything. It doesn't matter. This is not a talk about money. As I say, our expenses are very few, and none of us receive any money. Now, who is the us? The us are simply the people who have come here. I see, I see people, I see guilt already. I, <laughs> somehow, <laughs> now, this is not, I'm not, this is where this is not a talk about guilt. This is a talk about how we can be happier. Aren't we a family? We are a family here. We share a very, very gentle approach to life. We genuinely want to help people and we want to be good people. We just come here to celebrate that, strengthen our resolve, to make our, our footsteps a little quicker and a little lighter. There's no guilt in this. What could be done? What could be done for our family? Well, the deacons, and I have to tell you that the reason that we chose that name is it has no meaning. <laughs> There's a, a, a turn, an attorney did some research and found out that the, the word deacon has no legal, legal status whatsoever. That the, most, that the most consistency that he could find was that deacons were appointed for life. But these, of course, are dispensable deacons. <laughs> so who are the deacons? They're just people who show up every Sunday and, and see what needs to be done, and they do it, and they've done it for a long time. And after a while, we just say, well, why don't you join the meeting? We know we pray before, we, before the service begins, and every once in a while we meet and something comes up. That's all a deacon is. I would like every one of you to, to, to uh, have that title if you would like that. I mean, if you want to shock your parents, you call them up and say, guess what? <laughs> I've just been made a deacon. <laughs> so what could be done? I've told you what could be done for your house, your car, your spouse, your friends, and so forth. Let's just look at obvious things that could be done that other churches are doing. Please don't get guilty. Don't think you have to do any of these things. You don't have to do anything. You can continue just exactly as you are. Or you may just want to pause when, the, when, the, when our family comes to your mind and just bless us during the week. That is a wonderful thing to do. Just bless the people who come here. Bless the people who do occasionally need money. Bless the people who are sick. But there are some churches that are filled with flowers because people bring flowers every Sunday. This is something that many people can do. They have some flowers, or maybe they have enough money they could buy some flowers. Of course it's not necessary. Winter is coming. We've got a very steep hill. 
There are elderly people who can't attend this service, even during the summer. There are people, of course, in wheelchairs who can't attend this because of our location. But in the winter, it gets especially hard for many people. And so those of you who are stronger could put on your, your big ski boots or something and come a little early and help people up that hill. This would make you, I can't tell you what this would do if you wanted to do it, if it didn't seem like a sacrifice. There is, of course, this is the girls' club, and there's uh, much evidence of that all over the place when we come here on Sunday. Uh, people could clean up if they wanted to. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go around picking up cigarette butts and things like that? Not implying that the girls, the girls' club, smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's the people who come to pick them up or something that are doing it. Because you begin to sense that it is your brother and your sister who will come after you. And perhaps their head is bent today and they can see only the cigarette butts. And so you at least would like for them to have a nice flagstone for them to look at. I mean, it's, a, it's just that simple. You see, we're like a multiple personality. And God is the psychiatrist. Do you like this analogy? Yeah. All right. Now, you all know, there have been a number of movies about very famous multiple personalities. So it's, it's just like going into the, uh, the doctor's office and you complain about your roommate. Now, the doctor knows that you are your roommate. You do, that you don't know this, but you are your roommate. And that you do dress differently when you think you're this other person and so forth. But you think you've got a roommate and you don't see the roommate very often. But you're very mad at the roommate because the roommate doesn't clean up. And so you're going to fix the roommate and you tell the doctor all the things you're going to do. You're going to write this nasty little note and uh, you're going to clear out all the food out of the refrigerator because uh, the roommate never... Uh, pays for his or her share, whatever your other identity is, uh, uh, for the food and so forth. Now, the psychiatrist says to you, maybe not this bluntly, it's only you you will hurt, only you will have no food, and only you will weep when you read the letter. This is what is a fact. This is a fact. We don't believe it. We start from a standpoint that we don't believe this. But it is a fact. You are the other person. You are literally the other person. Clean up the flagstones and it's the other person who doesn't have to look at cigarette butts. And the joy flows into your heart as if by magic. Where did that come from? It came from your brother who's one with you. It came from your sister whose load you have made lighter. Of course, we don't need to do that. I was very touched. One Sunday, I, I said, uh, this is another farm. This is another stand I'd taken. This is a mistake I made. I said, we will never have a building fund in this church because I had seen that misused in some churches. But of course, there's nothing wrong with building funds. Uh, although I promise you, I haven't yet seen that. I, intellectually, I know. There's nothing wrong with them, so uh, I still probably will resist that. Uh, however, I said if anyone ever wants to buy us another building,
building, you know, we, we, would, we would move. There, of course, been complaints that people have to stay in the back rooms and so forth. Two women overheard that, and they tried very hard to buy us a building. Did you know that? They got together, and they got other people together, and they made a real effort at trying to get enough people together. They didn't ask me to do anything. I just happened to hear about this. They weren't able to swing it. But wasn't that touching? They have to love this place more just because of the effort. They wanted a place where people's wheelchairs could get in and people didn't have to climb up hills. That, of course, isn't necessary. We're doing just great here. And there are many, many places for people in wheelchairs and so forth to go. So I, I want to invite you to think of this as a family. I want to invite you to, to help in any way that you can. So that was the longest announcement period you ever <laughs> So my remarks are going to be much shorter than usual this morning. And um, the subject, as you may know from looking at the paper, is health, healing, and power. We could have thrown in wealth and uh, uh, winning friends and influencing people and When you put those together, health, healing, and power, and you use them the way most of us use them, you're talking about an object. And God has no object. And so the strange thing that happens is, is that when you give to your dog, or you give to your cat, or you give to your plant, it's not doing very well, it's as if by acknowledging it, it's as if by acknowledging the difference, it's as if by seeing the object that you become one with the object. It's quite strange. But that's in fact the way it happens. You must first see what you are separate from in this world. And then you give to it, and so the feeling is, I am taking from here. Have, have any of you uh, read the little children's book called The Giving Tree? All right, now that's a very, very lovely story but it's about half truth and half ego. Now, the, the ego half is that every time you give, you lose. Because the story is a very simple story about this tree that was very much in love with this little boy. He used to come and, and uh, sit and so forth. And as the boy began to grow up and needed more and more things, needed... Uh, uh, limbs to, to build a house and uh, needed a trunk to build a boat and so forth. It's several different things. So it started by giving away its leaves and then its branches and so forth. It came until it was nothing but a stump. And then the tree found a way to even give the stump as a gift. But this is the ego perception of giving, that it depletes us. That if we cut off our right arm, we and give it to another, we no longer have a right arm. And of course, it's just the opposite. Just the opposite. Never are you giving too much. 
never accept in your heart, although you need not disagree with it verbally, never accept someone who tell, uh, advice from someone who tells you you are doing too much for other people. You need to do something for yourself. This is ego, silly nonsense. It is not true. It may be that you're not giving in a peaceful way and you can find a more peaceful way to give. But it's not the giving that hurts. Never are you giving in. If you choose to do something or or to step back in some way that allows for a little more harmony in a relationship. This happened recently in which I was involved in a uh, controversy uh, has been going on for a very long time and in meditating it suddenly occurred to me I could withdraw my part in the controversy even though it, it seemed right I definitely seemed to be right and on worldly terms I had quite a bit to lose from this and the question was which would I rather do would I rather keep the worldly things that I would get if I stayed in the controversy or would I rather have the peace of God now and once I saw that there was no longer a choice and I did withdraw and the thing simmered down often when we withdraw our part in the argument in the uh, crisis when we just withdraw our participation the whole thing falls down as if you've taken one of the legs out from under a, a table And healing is simply a joining. And health is simply wholeness. It's feeling whole. And wealth is merely everything there is. So the mistake that is sometimes made in the name of spiritual truth is to think that wealth is one thing and not another. And so we try to get more of one thing than we do another. Or that there's better seats or better clothes or better places or better whatever and we strive more for this in the world than we do for that that merely keeps us dreaming there is a false sense of oneness though that is very good to recognize and it's sort of the, the ego's mystical day and here's what I have heard cited most often as evidence that someone has has arrived, that they, they found it. They talk most about having saved money. So the thing that you want is on sale. This is a confirmation that you're doing it right. You see that you've you're learning to meditate or you've, you've your your affirmation was a good one or whatever. In some way, we save money. Saving money has nothing to do with truth and nothing to do with awakening. It means nothing to save money. Saving time. And so the thing we've laughed about so often about the parking place nearest the front door or the getting in the checkout line that moves the fastest or the traffic jam is in the other lane. This is this is we think is great confirmation. Now we're very close to God because this is happening. 
Can saving time have anything to do with truth? The truth is there's no time. So what difference would it make if we saved any? <laughs> Did I tell you about what Dr. Sham said when I went to him about uh, the microwave? Did I tell you all about that? No. <laughs> this is when I first went to uh, Dr. Sham who spoke spoken here and is definitely further along than I am. Uh, very happy man from India. Um, and I was afraid to bring up the, you know, I was going to him because I'd been sick for a long time and in meditation uh, it seemed that this was the person I should go to now there are different people for different people you know there's healers are for certain people and not for others and so this was just my particular person to go to and uh I was asking him things. It's almost like uh, the Edgar Allan Poe poem in which <laughs> uh, the guy keeps asking the raven, knowing that the raven's going to say, nevermore. And, you know, so he keeps just thinking of everything he can think of. And then, of course, there. And that's what I was doing with Dr. Jean. Because uh, I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to have to give up everything. Of course, the ego loves to give up everything. It's, it's, as, I, as, you, as you know, we've, we've talked about there's a particular ev evangelist uh, on TV who is wonderful at getting at talking about things to give up, and the audience is just weeping, and they're just they're just so happy because they're going to be able to give all this stuff up, and it's just and that's that's the kind of state I was in, and so I was just thinking of everything. Well, can I eat this and can I do that? And I, I said, uh, well, uh, Doctor Jean, we've just bought a new microwave, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, can we? Can I cook the food in the microwave? He said, uh, "Well, why would you want to cook the food in the microwave?" And I, he was very, he was genuinely curious. And I said, "Well, you can cook a meal in three minutes." He said, "Why would you want to cook a meal in three minutes?" <laughs> <laughs> and the third thing that we think we are saved from. We, you know, we're, we save time and we save money is we're saved from our enemies. So on the day that we're doing it right and our meditation is going well and so forth, we only run into the people we like. There's these, this marvelous series of coincidences. And so the whole world dances to our tune. That's the feeling on this ego mystical day. These wonderful coincidences that happen. We don't run into anyone we don't like. God has moved them out of our path. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is, is this not true that people who are having an affair and think they are hurting somebody cite these same wonderful things that are happening, these wonderful coincidences and that kind of thing? Not, I know there's, here's this guilt. I can say guilt again. <laughs> not telling you not to have an affair. I'm saying that having an affair we often perceive as hurting one, two, maybe several people quite deeply. We think that this is what we're doing. And on one level, we obviously are doing that. And yet, don't these wonder, mom, even mom likes him. This is a miracle. We, we know that God has ordained this, this coming together. 
Uh, because uh, even mom says, oh, he's much better than your husband. And, and, uh, there is a French writer by the name of Jean Genet. I know many of you have read his books. He talks about this same sort of mysticism, this falling into place. These series of magical coincidences that, that lay a path as he robbed and killed. Here is a man completely devoted at the time he wrote these books to crime and to hurting people. And he felt led in some mystical way on his destructive path. Everything going our way has nothing to do with truth. And thinking that it does makes people fall off the spiritual path because the next day it doesn't happen that way. Because the next day uh, you burn the toast and you wake up and you've got a zit. <laughs> and you uh, try to... Uh, you try to pinch the zit, and it has babies. <laughs> and the whole day's like that, you see. <laughs> There's a woman who sits in this very group right now who went to a group in which they were practicing this, and this is very innocent. But the reason I mention it to you, and as I say, I would not talk about this in front of most groups, uh, because uh, people would misunderstand it and they would think that they're doing something wrong and they would think that they're being taught something erroneous by someone else. And of course, none of that's true. But there was a woman here who went to a group in which the person was trying to teach this sort of manipulation of the world under the, the, the uh, term create your own reality, which is one of the most misused set of words that I hear uh, running around at, at, at the present time. So she was told to go out. She was living at Berkeley at this time. And she was told to go out and to see that she was creating her own, her own reality. She was to do this for four hours. This is what she saw in those four hours. Those of you who live in Berkeley will recognize a little of this. In those four hours, the popsicle man had his money stolen. That's one of the first things he saw. A man was standing on a roof and fell. A cat got run over. And those of you who used to live in Berkeley know that there was a man who used to stand in the fountain. Everybody called him, I hate you. Because he would stand in the fountain yelling at everyone who walked by, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you got beaten up. <laughs> These are just some of the things that happened on our forum. Now, the only thing that she was left to believe is that she had created this. Created the cat running over, created the man falling off the roof, and so forth. This is nonsense. It, but it's, of course, we have to believe that if we think that we can go around manipulating the world, then, of course, we have to believe the opposite, don't we? How can you escape the opposite conclusion? And so, of course, Mother Teresa created the uh, children that she carries out of the burning hospital in Lebanon. Isn't that crazy? She created these main children? Well, she had to. She was there. She saw it. 
And this is what brings us down. We see an accident. We think we haven't meditated correctly. We have an accident. We haven't meditated correctly. Gandhi, of course, created the whole control that uh, Great Britain had over India. He had to. He was there. He saw it. Isn't that silly? Dag Hammarskjöld, of course, created the assassinations that were going on by our CIA at the time that uh, he was head of the UN. Isn't that silly? Of course, that's nonsense. This delays us. Truth cannot be used to manipulate the world. Now, as we've said so often here in our talk about health and healing and power, there is a very short period of time in which you will be able to manipulate the world. It's very much like sitting beside someone who's having a nightmare and you've become so intuitive that you know what their dream is. And so for just a moment, you enter their dream. Mentally, you enter their dream and you change the circumstances or you see that you can change the circumstances of their dream. How long do you do that? You either see that you can do that and don't do it or you do it for a very short period of time because it is pointless. The dreamer is disturbed. This is a very disturbed person. Of course they're having a disturbed dream. The entire dream is disturbed. Not just one character in the dream, but the entire dream is disturbed. So what is the point in going around and changing the symbols in the dream? You can do this, but just as Jesus showed, the minute you do it, the person goes right back and manifests the same kind of thing in their experience. Now, manifesting the same thing in their experience, once again, sounds like some form of manipulation. And this is a, something that is general, genuine, uh, generally misunderstood. That the dream is already set up. It's, this is a tremendous relief when we realize it. This world, the nature of this world is already there. It is, a, it is a dream. It is a disturbed dream. And you are not going to change the nature of the dream. Yes, you can go in and you can change something, but it will go right back to the way it was because the dreamer is disturbed. The son of God is disturbed. The child of God is disturbed. This is not a bad thing. It's a short dream. We've been told this. It's just a, a moment. The whole thing's going to be over. But there's no point in doing that. So even when you get to the point where you can do it, you will not even want to do it for very long. And we've talked here before. I've cited to you several of the very prominent healers who gave up healing because they realized it wasn't doing good. I am not advocating giving up healing if you can do this. There are, of course, times in which this is a real gift. This is a kindness that you can do to some, for someone is to heal them. So it's not that you would never do this, but to go around trying to change the symbols of the dream is not where we need to focus our attention. And it can scare people. This is what... How many of us have been scared by success? Suddenly we started getting successful. Suddenly the business started booming. This can be terrifying because it is contrary to the nature of the dream. And so we have expressions like uh, waiting for the other shoe to fall and all good things must end. 
It's too good to last. How do you know if it is a mystical ego day? Because you will have this feeling, it's too good to last. When is this, what's up? The roof is going to fall on me any minute. That's true, it is going to. That's right. It can't, this cannot last. This is just a little eddy, a little swirl. You happen to be standing right here in the stream, and suddenly there's a little swirl of current that comes your way. That's all that's happened. It was not brought about by your affirmation. Affirmations can be extremely helpful. If they use us to connect us to the heart and soul of other people and to realize the presence of God and to feel a great, great peace and to smile at all this nonsense. And so the ego offers you the whole world dancing to your tune. And the Christ spirit, the light of God, offers you the whole world laying down before you like a garden. Nothing dances. It's suddenly a garden, but it has not changed. Now it doesn't assault you. At most, it amuses you. Because you have turned your back on the world. Isn't that a shocking thing to say? Turn your back on the world? Our peace become so great that it doesn't matter that the, that there's uh, that our lane is uh, not moving the traffic's not moving the zit is funny it means nothing perhaps we do something about it and perhaps we don't if it's peaceful to do something about it we do something about it So we are walking on peace and we're seeing peace. It's like a mist has now settled over Santa Fe. A mist of, of gold, golden light. And we, we just love everything. It doesn't go our way. It doesn't put more money in our pocket. It doesn't save us time. It doesn't eradicate our enemies from our path. We just don't care to judge people anymore. It just isn't interesting to us to condemn another person. We simply see people's egos, and this is another thing that's widely misunderstood. It is all right to see other people's egos. If you see them as an ego, if you see it as an ego, just their particular uh, imaginary identity, their self-image, that's all it is. We don't care about analyzing it or talking about it or clucking over it. We just see it. It's just there like some shadow cast by a tree or something. It, we, we don't stop. Kick at the dirt trying to move the, stat, the uh, shadow. But as I've said so often, in order for peace to become like this, it must grow. The weeds have to be removed and the weeds are fears. You must eradicate fear because you can feel no peace if you are afraid. You cannot feel the peace of God if you're scared. And so you must eliminate the weeds of fear. And then the peace can grow. Of course, it's already there, but it seems to grow. This is the way it's 
the whole thing seems to operate. You bring peace to your life and to your relationships. And then the peace begins to grow and become unshakable. And you don't do nothing silly things like honor your irritation and honor your righteous indignation because you realize that peace is your feeling. It's your heart. It's your deep intent. It's your path. There is no irritation to honor. There is no anger to ventilate. It was never our feeling to begin with. It was the self-image's feeling. This little dust devil, this whirlwind. But now it doesn't blow you off the path. There was a lot I wanted to talk to you about, but we just have a little bit of time left. Um, and so I just want to hit a couple of little things, since this is a talk on health and healing as well as power. The key to health and eventually to healing, if you choose to do it, and there will be times in which you will choose to do it, and rightly so, is the recognition that there are no natural laws. Now, please don't go out of here quoting this. Uh, this is just this will just cause a controversy and you will get endless argument and it's not necessary to think about this. There are no natural laws. This is a dream and the laws change. The game plan changes. There are only fears, but fear operates as if it were a law. Now, this is the key to health and healing. It's the key to your health. And it's the key to healing. Because once you understand this, that your fear operates as a law, then only you have to concentrate on what you are afraid of and not what the general thing that you're hearing out there says is supposed to be operating in this particular case. Because there are exceptions to every so-called natural law. There is nothing that, that does it exactly the same to everybody, and there are always people who escape one of these so-called natural laws, although there are certain laws or there are certain fears that are so universal that, they are, that there are very few exceptions. And so the chance that you have escaped this very widespread belief are quite slim. And if you look in your heart, you can see if you have any fear about it. So if you will look at your fears and realize that, so I told you, for example, <clears throat> about going on a, a, a speaking thing in which uh, I had to do uh, three all-day workshops and two evening presentations in three days and had to travel to uh, more than one city to do this. And I told you the thing that I did. Uh, and I didn't get the flu. The flu I'd been exposed to the flu and I didn't come. Now, what happened after that was, uh, a few weeks later, I came back from another trip and had felt deprived uh, on this trip. I hadn't been able to get good food and hadn't gotten much rest and so forth. And uh, Gail had felt deprived while I was away because uh, she had to handle everything herself. And that first day after I got back, we both 
started eating food. We ate foods that we did not feel peaceful about. That's, that's the simple rule. We ate foods we did not feel peaceful about. Uh, Gail, I'll tell you what Gail ate. <laughs> Gail, she's not here, you see. I can. She feel, filled her mouth with chocolate. <clears throat> I did other, less, more, more innocent things than that. Uh, we both came down with the flu, bang, just like that. Now, I wouldn't have seen the connection before. Now it's just so obvious to me. This, why did we come down with the flu? Because we ate things we were afraid of, and fear is a law. And so it was an invitation. You cannot be afraid without the fear taking form in your experience. This is, again, not manipulating the world. You, it just simply will take form in your experience. So if you feel the least bit anxious about anything that you're eating, or anything that you're doing, or anything that you're wearing, or any activity, it will take form. This isn't, uh, I'm not trying to give you an additional fear, but it is a fact. <laughs> it just will take form. It will not necessarily take form in a bodily illness. It may take form in some sort of sensation in your body. It may take form in a, some sort of blow-up in a relationship that you don't understand how the blow-up came about, or in a hundred other ways it might take form. It doesn't matter how it's taking form, and it's pointless to look for what form it's taking. But if you will avoid your fears, you will avoid everything that can make you sick. Now, of course, you won't be able to do that, but you can begin doing that. In the beginning, your ego will say, yes, but I should be able to do anything. I should be able to wear anything. I should be able to be out with anybody. I should be able to uh, walk in any weather condition and so forth. And so, in the beginning, your desire to do anything you want to do, just like a child, and you want to do it now, will be almost as great as your desire to walk away from illness. And so, you will not be consistent in the beginning. But if you wish to walk away from illness, you can begin. And as you begin to experience more and more peace, because you have less and less fear, then you will not be cooperating or actually doing the very thing that's causing you to be sick. That's the simple rule. It is only your fears that you have to be concerned of. So do not ask yourself that the fear is justified. Ask yourself only, am I afraid of it? If you are a little bit afraid of it, don't do it. If, as often seems to be the case, you're choosing between two fears, you simply choose the lesser of the two fears, which is the greater peace. You're choosing more peace by doing that. This is very difficult to do. We, do, we, we, are, not, we are not used to looking at our bodies and our relationships and our life in this manner. And this is, if you want some sacrifice, here's a little sacrifice. This will be hard. This will be a little bit hard in the beginning to do this because you will want to be able to do anything. And you can't see why you can't do this. You can't do it because you're afraid of it. Of course someone else can do it. They're not afraid of it. It doesn't matter why you're afraid of it. And don't spend any time trying to figure out why you're afraid of it. That's total ego waste of time. Just see you're afraid of it and don't do it. Now, you can fight your way through it, 
and you can sit in chairs and muster some sort of intellectual or spiritual or something, and you can get through it eventually that way, but that's a waste of time. Why spend all that time doing that? All you want is to clear the garden out of the weed, clear the weeds out so your peace can grow and become strong. Now, I want to end with one little technique that I think would be of help. And I realize there are many things we haven't covered on a topic that's includes <laughs> health, healing, and power. But um, the last several Sundays, I've suggested a progression of exercises, and I'd like to add to it this time. The last exercise that I suggested was that you begin familiarizing yourself with the contents of your mind, and I gave some specific suggestions as to how to do that. Here's one I'd like to add, and that is that as you watch your thoughts and become very conscious of your thoughts without trying to change them, never try to change it. This is the quick and easy way. You can try to change it and you will eventually succeed, but you have wasted enormous time. See it, but don't try to change it and it will disappear much more rapidly and you will begin to realize you're something that you don't think you are. How can you just look at a thought? How can you just look at a behavior and it begin to disappear? What does that say about you? You are the light of God. That's what it says about you, but we don't believe that. Fight it and you don't think you're the light of God. You think you're on the same level with the thought or the behavior. And that's why it takes such enormous time. It takes lifetimes. That's what it takes to approach it that way. We don't have to spend lifetimes doing this. So as you look at the thoughts today, tomorrow, maybe for two or three days, do this. Look for the fear behind the thought. Now here's a statement that you'll have to accept on trust because it will not be readily obvious. You cannot think about anything without being scared. Because what we think of as thinking has nothing to do with thinking. Thinking has to do with a great stillness and a peace and a rest that's so profound that we know nothing can shake it. And it's always been there. And it's what we are. That's what thinking is. A great, great, great love that excludes nothing. So what we think of as thinking is all fear generated. And so you simply look at the thought and look for the fear behind it. This does not require a great deal of time and no analysis. You just look for the fear. You don't ask yourself what should it be but look for what it is. It may surprise you as to what the fear is that generated this thought. Even thoughts that are quite happy to think, seemingly, have a fear behind them. Now, once again, you're not going to try to change the thought. You're just going to look for the fear behind any thought that you happen to notice. Once again, look for it. Don't ask yourself what might it be. If you don't see it, forget it. Only concern yourself with the thoughts where you can see the fear. If you can't see any fear behind this thought, say, well, he's crazy. I've always known he's crazy. And just go on with the exercise, you see. Now, of course, there are fears. those thoughts don't have fear. 
Just say that. All right. But go on with the exercise. Now, after two or three days, I would like to suggest that you do this. And then we'll end with this. That you think of your mind as a small, dumb dog. Now, most of you have had the experience of teaching a dog to heal. You can teach your mind to heal, but it's a slow learner. This is all it needs to be learned. Is that it, it is a slow learner. So what you want to heal is a wonderful thing because heal means you can't see it. So if you make your mind heal, it doesn't obstruct the presence of God. So your mind will wander off over and over and over again. Count your success how many times you say heal and not how long your mind stays in the present. Because if you start worrying about how long your mind is staying in the present, you're going to get very distressed with this exercise. It's going to make you very unhappy because you're going to realize that your mind is almost never in the present and there's nothing you can do about it. It keeps running off, running off, running off. It even uses this very conversation to run off with. Thinking about it in spiritual terminology. Count your success how many times you bring the dog, because remember, this is a dumb dog. <laughs> it's going to take it a long, going to take you a long time to make this dog heal. But you'll, you'll see results right away. You'll begin to see a little results. Don't pay attention to them. <laughs> the dog's even dumber than that. All right. So your mind wanders off. Now you're not looking for the fear. You've already done this for two or three days. You've begun to see that you don't want your mind to run off because it's running into fear. And you don't like fear. Anyone will give up fear. If they see fear as fear, they'll give it up. It's when they think the fear is something else. It's excitement. It's elation. It's uh, future success. It's uh, uh, better than my friends. It's what, this, is when we, this is why we keep the fear. If you see fear as pure fear, you don't want it. You won't keep it. And your mind will let it go and your life will let it go. So now you're not looking for the fear because you've already taken two or three days to realize that you don't want your mind running off all the time. And you've begun to experience a little of the peace of God that comes with just these few seconds of stillness. Soft glow that emanates from you. Connects you with everything. And so now you just say, heal. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> To yourself, you say heal, and watch. The mind comes right back. It's a dumb dog. It comes right back. But so so dumb, it wanders off again. You say heal. Just to, just to heal. That's all you do. Don't worry about how long the dog stays there. Your success is how many times you say heal. You see, you knew this, you knew this was a crazy church, didn't you? <laughs> okay. Um, that's it. Now we're going <laughs> to...